praise God, you guys. I've, you know, when I try to do a Father's Day or Mother's Day message, you know, one of the things I try to keep in mind when I put a message like that together is to keep the people in mind who aren't fathers, you know, mothers that would be, and, you know, single men and, and single women and so forth, and everybody. And I put together a message that is, is for fathers as well, of course. Uh, I'm targeting fathers in an encouraging way to encourage you in your walks with the Lord. Uh, but I'm also encouraging all of you because I've got uh, several points I want to make today uh, that will hopefully encourage you all in your walk with Christ. I mean, how many, when you, how many people, when they get married, go up to the altar and say, you know what? Uh, you know what? Let's pray. Father God, we pray in your Son's name that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take from your word and just speak to us in an indelible way, Father. In a way where we're not just going through the motions, Father, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us in such a way that our lives would be radically transformed and that we leave here stronger than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I want to encourage you to just open up your heart to God's word. Let him speak to you. The Bible says when you approach God's word in James, the book of James, to put away all sin. If you want to have a repentant heart, say, Lord, this is what, how you get in the word. This is how you grow. Uh, to put away all, you know, superfluous of wickedness and uh, filthiness and so forth. And then it says to be quick to hear, slow to speak. So he needs to have some open ears, amen. And then he goes on to say uh, to, to not just hear the word, but to be doers of the word, amen. So we want to put the word into practice. I'm like, all the sections are filled up. I'm like, what happened to this little section right here, you know? <laughs> I don't see Joe Buck and my sister Kathy and stuff and Luke and Lauren and everybody, but... Uh, but there'll be a few more people to fill in those first couple rows, hopefully. Uh, but we have an awesome, two awesome sisters in that second row. You guys are both awesome. I know both these sisters. They're, they're, they're precious in Jesus. Praise God. But you guys, how many people, when they get married and walk up in the aisle, plan on ruining their marriage? Plan on having kids and ruining their home and jacking up their kids, their children, to where their, their children are like, what happened, man? Where's my dad? You know? Why did he leave us? Why did he do that to my mom? Why is he with that other lady? Not very many, right? I'd like to say zero, but there's probably a few guys that were shysters and got married for the wrong reason, you know? Uh, how many people come to the Lord and say, yeah, I'm going to come to the Lord and, you know, praise God, I love Jesus, but what I'm going to do in a little while, sometime's going to go by, I'm going to fall into sexual perversion, I'm going to fall into sin and just turn away from Christ then. How many do that? I don't think anybody does that initially, right? Hope not, right? Well, the name of this message is How to Have a Happy Ending. How to Have a Happy Ending. You know, I have a, I love different barbecue rubs, and I had a barbecue rub called Happy Ending. And it wasn't the main rub, but it was something you sprinkled on at the very end. And it'd make the, 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 the whatever rub you're using, if it, was a, you know, if it matched it well, it'd be a very good ending. I stopped using it because I looked at the ingredients. That's why it's such a happy ending. It's got so much sugar in it, you know. So I got rid of so many of my rubs that had sugar in it. I got one that has a little bit, but I usually, 90% of the time, use a rub without sugar. It's Suckle Buster Steak Rub, and it's so good. Suckle Busters, they have sugar in all their rubs pretty much, but that one doesn't, and it's still really good. Just pepper, garlic, and salt. Just a little tip real quick. So I got rid of my happy ending rub, you know. And, uh, but we all want to have a true happy ending, amen? We all want to have a really good happy ending. And I just saw an article in... Christian post uh, recently, and I didn't even click it. I, I looked at it, but I was just looking at different news, and I saw the headline. It just broke my heart. It was like a huge percentage of p 
pastors have been falling. It's epidemic in the church right now because so many, the culture is so jaundiced with sin and evil and they end up getting conformed to the culture and letting their guard down and they fall. I, you know, I thought, how many of those pastors, when they started the pastorate, thought that this would happen to them? Probably none of them, you know, or very few. And it just breaks your heart. And I was going to click it, but I was looking, I was in a hurry and I was looking at news. I'm like, I'm not going to click that story. It's going to be more of the same, you know? It just breaks my heart. And I'd seen a, some time ago, uh, celebrity pastors falling. How many celebrity, so-called celebrity pastors are falling? They have the, you know, a lot of the seeker sensitive mega, mega churches, you know, and so forth. And, uh, but, you know, it makes me think of a study that had been done by Dr. Howard Hendricks, who had done a study, had conducted a study that of 246 pastors, that's a lot of pastors, who fell within a two-year or 24-month period within each other. That's a lot of pastors to be monitoring and saying what happened. But he did a study on these guys, and he, he found out the commonality as to what they had, what was the common denominators in their lives that precipitated their falls. Because he indicated that all these men had, you know, allegedly started strong. They were pastoring churches. And then 246 of them had failed in their pastorate and had to cease being pastors. And I thought, wow. You know, and when I had seen what he had written about the common denominators, which he lists four common denominators, when I looked more closely at what was being said in his study, he actually had six. He broke them into four. But I thought, no, there's actually six here. So I'm going to look at seven things, okay? Because there's an obvious seventh when you look at the six, the, the six things in that, in, in the reasons that they fell, and the things we don't want to do. Because these men had these, all these things in common. And if you have just a couple of those things in common with these men, you're at risk. If you have more than half of these things in common, you're at, you know, you're at serious risk. And if you have all those things in common, well, you're already fallen. To me, it wasn't that these things led to their fall. When I'm reading these things, I'm like, ooh, it didn't just lead to the, they fell into sexual sin. They fell into sexual sin with their secretaries, with other women, and so forth. And I thought, well, actually, they're falling before they actually fell. They were already on their way down when you look at what they weren't doing and what they should have been doing and some of the things they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing. And these should be instructive to us. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Paul says in verse 6 that God has given us examples, right? In the Old Testament, he had them written down as examples for us so we would not what? Fall in the same way that they fell. The Lord doesn't want us to fall. He gives us examples. And these were men, and this was right after Paul says, I beat my body down, so after I preach to others, I myself will not be a dokamas. And what does that do word dokamas mean? It means to be without Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5, he says, you know, he says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. You are in the faith unless you are, and Christ lives in you, unless you are a docomas. And that means to just totally depart from Christ. He beats his body down. Then he gives examples of those who had fallen after they were baptized in the Sea of Moses, after they ate the, the manna, the bread from heaven, right after they partook of the spiritual rock or the rock that gave them water, which he says was a picture of Christ. They had all these wonderful experiences. 
right? Then he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I mean, that can happen to us. And he says, God wrote these things down about those Jews whose corpses lined the wilderness and dotted the landscape and did not make it into the promised land for us so we don't fall, he says, in the same way that they fell. Amen? Then he also, we're given examples. And Paul is one of those examples that we're to look to. Paul says, follow me, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Amen? Follow me as I follow Christ. So then there's good examples we look to, like Paul, who in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when you see his living eulogy, he says, I have fought the good fight, right? I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Amen? Therefore is laid up for me and not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing, a crown of righteousness. Amen? So we want to finish our course. We want to fight the good fight. We want to keep the faith. We want to have a happy ending. Amen? Amen. Do you want to have a terrible ending? Or do you want to have a happy ending? I want to have a really happy ending. Would you rather hear, Cursed are you, workers of lawlessness. Depart from me into the fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Would you rather hear that? Or would you rather hear from the Lord, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Which one would you rather have here? All of us would rather hear the second one, Amen. By far. So we want to make sure we have a happy ending. And uh, when you look at the way these men fell, it's just super, super heartbreaking. Now, it's interesting. Number one, and, and I don't put these in any specific order. I mean, there's an order I put in for myself, but not necessarily for you, uh, as far as I didn't put it in order of priority, is what I mean to say. Each one ceased to have a daily personal time in the Word of God. Each of these men was not abiding in the Word of God. And as pastors, you're like, well, how can you not be in the Word of God as a pastor? Well, pastors, a lot of time we have to be very careful. We get busy serving the Lord. We get busy ministering, get busy putting out fires and helping people. A lot of times we pastors, you know, I, I say sometimes like herding cats, you know. And I, we have a really good fellowship here, so I can't imagine uh, for a lot of guys, you know, because, you know, it's just, uh, it could be crazy. And, of course, we're putting scriptures together. We're putting pastors together and so forth. Depending on the pastors, some pastors don't study much. They don't teach much. They maybe use a verse or two. That's true. But there's other pastors, I believe, that do teach very well. And they can still fall if they're not having their own personal devotional time in the Word of God. So for me, I've, I, I, I put way more messages together, by the way, than I ever preach. I'm always putting messages together. My, I've got a bunch of stuff in my, you know, my files. It's like, oh, no more. You know, I'm always putting stuff in there, you know, because I've got my own devotional times. I get into things. I just love the Scripture, and that helps me stay strong. You see, you need, whether you're, whether you're, and this isn't just for fathers, and praise God, fathers, this is to encourage you big time, but everybody here, if you're a young guy, the Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure? But by keeping it according to thy word. Amen? Amen. Amen. The psalmist said, I've hid your word in my heart, so I will not, what? Sin against you. It keeps us from falling into sin. Amen? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, John writes, young men, you are strong because the word of God abides in you. That's how we stay in the word. John also says in that same chapter, you know, let that which you heard from the beginning, which is the word, the gospel, remain in you. If you remain in the word, right, 
the Word of God remains in you, you will continue in the Father and in the Son and have eternal life. Happy ending. Amen? So abide in the Word. It's critical that we abide in the Word of God. Are you abiding in the Word of God today? Well, yes, I'm here right now, Joe. I'm listening to the Word. But it's not enough just to listen. James says, be what? Doers the Word and not hearers only. You have to make sure you're doing the Word. You have to make sure you're obeying the Word of the Lord. And that's very, very important. You know, it's interesting because when James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, that word being hearers, it reminds you, you know, of, of you know, how auditors are hearers. Anybody here ever audit class? Nothing wrong. That could be a good thing, especially if you don't have to pay. A lot of times you still have to pay to audit a class. But if you go to university or college and you audit a class, you listen in. But guess what? You don't have to do the homework. You don't have to do the exams. Well, you get to just listen and get the information. Yeah, but guess what? You don't get to do the homework. You don't get to do the exams. And you don't get the credit. You don't get any credit when you audit a class. And just hearing the Word of God and just coming and saying, man, I'm hearing the Word. This is important. It's so important because you need to hear the Word. You need to read the Word before you can what? Do the Word. Amen? But that's the first part of it. You want to make sure you're doing the Word. You could say, man, Joe, but look, I, I, look how much I've marked out. My, my Bible's worn out. I've marked it up this much. Look at that. Like, that's pretty cool. But has the Bible marked you up? Has it made a change in your heart? Has it made a change in your life? Can you say, my life is different because of the Word of God? If you can't, you have to examine yourself and say, where am I at? You know, in Luke chapter 8, verse 21 Somebody came rushing in. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are out there waiting for you. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? But those who hear the word of God, he didn't stop there. He says, and do it. Wow. A little bit later in Luke, and that's in chapter 11, verse 27, guy rushes in. Jesus, you know. <laughs> Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that fed you. He said, rather, more blessed, more blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Keep it. There it is again. When Roman Catholics tell you, but she, she should pray to Mary because she's a blessed virgin. She's blessed. Yeah, she's radically blessed. But more blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen? That's heavy, man, when you think about it. Plus, the Bible says not to talk to dead people who have died. Amen? That's, that's another important one we want to keep in mind, right? Uh, so it's interesting because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord if you what? Don't do what I say. And that's one of the biggest lies in the church today is you can be a Christian and have Jesus as your Savior but reject him as your Lord. That's scary because that's when Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful signs in your name, cast out demons in your name, and uh, heal, you know, prophesy in your name, and all these things. He says, I'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You did not what? Do the word of my Father. There it is again. So you guys, this is so, we have to be obedient as Christians to his word. Amen. If you're not obedient to Christ and his word, you're not a Christian. I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about, are you, can you say your life is following Christ? You're on the narrow road, seeking Jesus and following him? 
Because you remember, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, that's when he said to build your life on the rock. He says the wise man did what? He built his house on the rock. And he says, and when the storm came and the rain came and they pounded against his house and, the, and the, 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 the flood came, that house stood. But he said the house that was built on the sand, what happened to it? The same storm came, but it fell. And he said, great was its fall. Then Ivy says, crashed. You know, it was a great crash. It was a great fall. He says, so everyone who obeys my word, who builds on my word, he's like the man who builds his house on the rock. So I've given you a lot of things just from Jesus so far, I mean, right, and other scriptures as well, but to emphasize how important it is that we're building our houses on the rock. Because the six scriptures say in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, the what? The laborers, what? Labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watches in vain. Meaning, man, you're dead meat. You can even have a watchman up there, man, but if the Lord's not watching the city, if he's not taking, watching your house, if he's not taking care of you because you're refusing to build on the rock, and you're doing your own thing, and you're saying, hey, you know what? I just can do my own thing. I'm sure I'll be, I'll be fine. No, man, you're headed for a great, big, huge fall. See, we need to fear the Lord, man. The fear of the Lord says the beginning of wisdom. So if we fear the Lord, we're going to want to know what he says. What do you say? You're my maker. You're the one that made me in your image. It says the, 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 that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool, the fool despises knowledge and instruction. Don't despise God's word. Have an open heart. Be teachable. It's important that we're teachable and that when we see the word of God, we, we're open to being corrected and say, it says that, you know, and that we're willing to amend our lives because we love the Lord so much and we fear him to conform to what he's called us to. And we'll be blessed in the long run. Blessed is the one who what? Here's his word and keeps it. God wants to bless us. The enemy is the one that says, ooh, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit, Eve. Because he knows you'll become like, you'll be God, you know. You shall not surely die. He's the one that wants to, you know, make us think that God's ripping us off in some way. How could, there's nothing more ludicrous than think the creator of the universe who loves us, who made us in his image, wants to hurt us, you know. It's trying to keep us from being blessed. So it's imperative that we understand. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew 4, 4, by what? But why what? Amen. By every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Amen. Amen. So let's not be mere auditors. Amen. Let's not merely mark up our Bible. Let's let the Bible mark up our lives. Amen. Amen. So that's number one. It's critical that we, we get this, you know. Now, number two. These men did not have biblical boundaries. Howard, Dr. Howard Hendricks found in these 246 men he looked at within that 24-month period that fell, he said a common denominator, each and every one of them did not have godly boundaries. In other words, they allowed women into their lives in a way that they should not have allowed women into their lives. In fact, check this out. 80% of those 246 men, that's a huge majority, fell sexually into sexual sin with another woman as a result of counseling them. Get your brain around that. 80% of those men who fell, according to Dr. Howard Hendricks, that's, wow, around 200 of those 246 men, fell with women that they were in sexual sin as pastors that they were counseling, 80%. That's huge. 
that shows me they did not have boundaries. They weren't watching their hearts. They weren't watching their behavior. And as men, dads, fathers, single men, women, all women, we all need to have boundaries. We all need to have boundaries. And it's interesting because when you have boundaries, it, it's, uh, it can be so, so helpful for you. When I became a new pastor, I knew I need to have boundaries. Because one thing you have to do is you need to take heed when you stand unless you fall, right? So I knew that principle. And I'd seen when i become a pastor, I was aware that a lot of pastors had fallen. So you know one thing I didn't do? I didn't say, what is everybody else doing? I said, what does God's word say to me as a man, as a Christian pastor? Because I didn't picture the Apostle Paul going or Peter. said, okay, Peter, I'll say Peter because he was married. See you later, honey. I'm going to go hang out with the secretary all day long in the office all alone and counsel women all alone. Do you think Peter was doing that? Absolutely not. He wasn't. And I told my wife from the get-go that uh, we need to have very godly boundaries to guard our relationship, you know. And praise God, I made her my secretary, you know. That works out really, really well. He was, Joe was with his secretary. Well, she's my wife. It's okay, you know. Now, I have another secretary, but she's more of a teammate with Lisa's and works with Lisa. And you can ask Mary. She's been our secretary for several years. You can ask Susie, who was before her. You know what? I don't even go in the office. Some, some pastors say, well, just keep the door open. And, you know, like Billy Graham's ministry, they would keep the door open when they're with their secretaries. And, hey, I'm not saying that's probably really helpful. I don't even go in. Only time I open the door is to peek my head in for 30 seconds once in a while. And, and if you ask Mary or Susie how often I peek my head in to talk to them when they're in the office, probably a handful of times. Seems fanatical. I'm still standing by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. And I remember... Uh, and also, you know, counseling women alone, you know. I don't spend a lot of time on the phone with women or texting them. Quick responses, you know. I remember as a young pastor, beautiful gal calls up. She starts saying, Joe, I need your encouragement. I need your, need your help. And wonderful gal. Loves the Lord. She's still walking with Jesus. But she started to tell me about how she's going through a struggle with her husband and, and how he doesn't spend time with her. They don't have intimate time, and they haven't been having sex for a while, and how I could help her and stuff. Here's how I helped her. Excuse me, excuse me one second. Lisa, it's for you, honey. Okay? I'm like, well, I ain't helping her with that, you know? Because you start saying, oh, you're so beautiful, I don't understand this guy. Is he blind? Or whatever, wherever that would go, right? You know? And I said, hey, Lisa, it's for you. I said, hey, I think it's better that you talk to my wife about this one, you know? And I've just always had those boundaries up. And I remember a, a brother had come to me and he said, Joe, he goes, I just want to tell you something. I thought you were just over the top in your convictions about not counseling women alone, you know, and all that. And he goes, I just want to come and say I apologize. Oh, you have to apologize. He goes, no, I apologize because I thought you were just being legalistic. But a couple pastors in Simi Valley had fallen, you know, a worship leader and a pastor back-to-back -back with women they were close to, 
in ministry. And this was a big thing in Simi Valley because it's a huge church. And he said, I just want to let you know, I get it now. I get it. Okay? And I didn't do this so he would get it, but I'm glad he got it. And I said, praise God. Praise the Lord. No problem, bro. I love you, man. No problem. You know, we, but I, you know, so it's important that we make right decisions, you know? And I'm encouraging you men. How many men think when they get married, they're going to end up falling with their secretary and ruin their lives? But it's happened to millions of them who've fallen with some woman one way or another. And by the way, the men in this fellowship that are elders are not supposed to be counseling women alone. So if an elder is talking to you alone as a woman and counseling you, are spending time with him, he's not following what we've called him to do in this fellowship. I haven't heard about any of that. If I, if I did, I'd go to that elder. But I'm just saying everybody knows that that's something we don't allow in the fellowship. Right, Steve? We've had that for years and years. And big thumbs up right there. Amen? So uh, we want to guard our hearts. And now I spend a lot of time counseling women, but I do it with my wife. I have great relationships with the women in this fellowship. I get teary thinking about how many women I just praise God for the women in this fellowship. I have beautiful relationships with them. But you know why they're beautiful? Because they're healthy in Christ. That's the kind of relationships we want to have, amen? And the thing is, the Bible says to, to delight in your own wife in the book of Proverbs, Amen? So we're supposed, so man, I want to encourage you, get close to your wife. Spend time with your wife, amen? Invest in your relationship with your wife, amen? Then you'll be a blessed husband and you'll have a blessed wife. By the way, she wants you to spend time with her, amen. typically. She wants you to confide in her. She wants to, you to share your struggles with her and, and pray together and so forth, amen? So spend time getting close to your wife. That's very, very important, very, very important. In fact, in Psalm 128, it says that happy is the man who fears the Lord. And then it ends that, it comes to a crescendo after it mentions his family relationship. Again, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. But in between there, it says that his wife and children will be like a fruitful vine at the table. And that's a big deal because they lived in an agrarian society. We moved into the, you know, commercial or industrial, then the commercial, high tech, you know, everything's changed, but... People used to appreciate those analogies more because that they've sell life all around them. And they could appreciate a fruitful vine. When your neighbor came over, you would talk about the fruitful vine you have or the beautiful tree. You talk about the nature around you. And he's saying, guess what? Your family will be like that. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. We need to fear the Lord, but guess what? She'll be a fruitful vine. But it just says, says also in the Bible, in the Song of Solomon, the little foxes spoil the vines. Little foxes. Why doesn't it just say the foxes spoil the vines? Because it's the little foxes that can squeeze their way through the walls that were meant to protect their gardens and their produce. So you have to make sure you have a wall that's well secure between you and not becoming emotionally involved romantically with a woman even. Amen. If that's happening in your life or you're a woman, it's happening with you with a man, and that man's not your husband, unless you're single, okay? If you're single and, well, I'm seeing, I've been seeing you, honey, and I love you so much, but Joe said, I just got to dump you. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about men who are married, you know, with other women, okay? Sorry, honey, uh, I know, uh, you know, I got to dump you. He's talking, you're married to me. Oh, okay, you got, context is everything, right? Okay, so, uh, but if you're, you know, got to guard your hearts. 
The Bible says to guard your hearts with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. Amen? So not just guarding your whereabouts, but guarding your hearts. You know, hating sin, fearing God, saying, I'm not even going to go to any pornographic website because I don't want to grieve the Spirit and because I fear you, Lord, and I love you and I value that relationship with you so much. Amen? Because you could be a man who's not falling into a perverse relationship physically, but you're doing it in your heart. And God looks at the heart. Amen? So you need to repent of that and ask the Lord to give you strength and give you victory over that. And he will give you victory. You just got to continue to pray and seek the Lord and follow him. Amen? So it's important that you stay close to your wife if you're married. It's important for all of us to stay close to Jesus. Amen? Amen. So that's the second thing they did. Now, I want to ask you, those 80% of those 246 men who fell into sexual sin with women they were counseling, if they had roles that they didn't spend time with women alone, right, and they protected their relationship with their wife, would they have fallen into that? It would be impossible to. I want to encourage you right now. When we, I, my wife and I, when we do premarital counseling, one of the things we emphasize is having healthy biblical boundaries because you could let your guard down and all of a sudden the enemy could just wreak all kinds of havoc and destroy you. Destroy your family. But by the grace of God, you might be saying, man, you know, Joe, I let my guard down. I shouldn't have done this, and it brought pain into my life. Well, praise God, if you repent, right? And learn from it and go forward and make things right, amen? And make your ending happy, amen? A happy ending instead of a devastating ending, okay? So, number three. Without exception, all of these 246 men had been convinced that it was impossible for them to fall, that they weren't going to fall earlier in their walks. Whoo, that's a big one because we have to be humble. God gave grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't say, you know what, I'm going to have all these parameters in my life, which by the way, I don't even think twice about it. It's just there. It's not like, oh, it's so hard to live this way. That's from the enemy, man. It's so easy. In fact, it makes my life way better, you know? But I wasn't like, I need to have these parameters because I'm sure I'll fall into sexual sin. I'm not saying you can't have confidence in the Lord, okay? If I had to spend time with my secretaries alone, I, I, in my heart, I would be like, that's not my heart, okay? I'm not gonna, that's, that's not my plan to fall. I think by the grace of God, I would be good. But when you think, oh, I'll definitely be good and I could do it, ooh, then you're in trouble, because guess what? The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Fall. So I could think, I, I would stand in that situation. And I believe I would. But guess what? I'm not absolutely positive because I've seen all kinds of men who thought they would. And what if I'm in this super bad funk in my life for a year and, and this gal and she's beautiful and, and I'm hanging out with her and, and all of a sudden I start to get away from the Lord in some way and by the grace of God throughout my entire walk, by his grace, there's not a day that hasn't gone by where I haven't cried out to him, okay? But let's say there was a time where that wasn't happening. Any man could fall. Every man has a propensity to fall. So to think that you could never fall, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's critical that we pay attention, that we're alert. Peter had to learn the hard way, right? Jesus said before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. These guys, the rest of the apostles, they may all fall away. 
Not me. I'm ready to go to prison and death with you, Jesus. He's contradicting what Jesus said. And people say, talk about how he fell later. I say he fell right there. His fall was already, he's already teetering, going down. He just didn't hit the bottom yet. As soon as you start contradicting Jesus' words and putting yourself above his word and saying, everybody else needs it, but I don't, I am invincible. Woo, man, you're in trouble. All of us can fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, it's interesting because in James, and why don't we go there? There's a really interesting passage there. James chapter 4. And when you get there, look at the warning to those who are believers that James is addressing, some of which had fallen. He says in verse 4, You adulteresses, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So you start picking up the worldly ways and living according to the ways of the world. You become, as the King James says, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Okay? Creates, you make God your enemy. In fact, look at what he goes on to say. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. You don't want to do that. And in verse 5, he says, Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God is a jealous God, okay? And he jealously desires the Spirit. That's our spirits, by the way. I don't believe the NASB is correct in, in capitalizing that right there, okay? The Spirit of God already belongs to him, okay? But he desires us, and he's jealous for us. And he says in verse 6, but he gives, but because the context there is us loving the world instead of him. And us not worshiping him in spirit and in truth, but putting the world first. But he gives a greater grace. I love that. Say that. Say greater grace. Greater grace. How many of you need greater grace in your life? Amen? Greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives what? Grace to who? The humble. If I'm arrogant and say, I don't need to pray. I don't need to be a man of prayer. I don't need to pray about this situation. I don't need to guard my heart. I don't need to have parameters in my life. Woo, man, then I'm being proud, and I'm not going to receive his grace for strength. Amen? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. The humble. He's opposed to the proud. Yeah, you become his enemy. If you pick up the ways of the world and you say, it's all about me. I can do my own thing. I don't need the Lord. I'm going to live it my way. Earlier in James chapter 1, he says, don't be deceived. A double-minded man shall not receive nothing from the Lord, right? You're not going to receive anything from the Lord. Rather, we should look at verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. And that Greek word submit right there means to do a 180 and submit to your commanding officer. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And I love that. Because by submitting to God, I'm resisting the devil. He's no longer in front of me, be seeking him. He's behind me, and I'm seeking the will of the Father. I love that. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love that. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will what? He will exalt you. Amen? He'll, he'll lift you up. Then you'll have joy again. 
But if you're rejoicing in things of the world, man, you need to repent and be sick over it and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm so sorry. I humble myself before you. I want to live for you. I want to live for your glory. I want to do your will. I want to stay on straight and narrow. I want to have intimacy with you and be a person of prayer that depends on you every day. And guess who's writing this? Peter, the guy who fell, the guy who didn't submit to the Lord and contradicted him and ended up falling in the snare of the devil. But Jesus said, when you're converted, Peter, strengthen your brethren. Amen? Now he's strengthening his brethren so we don't fall in the way that he fell. So it's critical. And I love it. He says he gives greater grace. And when we think of grace, a lot of times as Christians, and it's very important to think of grace this way, we understand, we believe, and we know, and praise God, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. That we're saved by grace, as Paul said, through faith and not, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. We cannot merit our, God's favor. Amen? We can't work our way to where God receives us. Amen? We have to simply plead the merits of Christ. What Jesus did for us on the cross, I come to you through Christ and what he did. Amen? The finished work, we're justified. We're made right with God through faith in Christ. Amen? Our works are only evidence of that salvation. Amen? So we think of grace in terms of saving grace. In, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about how he saved us by his grace and not by, he regenerated us. And he did it, saved us by our grace and not on the basis of works we have done. Praise the Lord. Amen? That's what separates Christianity, true Christianity, from Roman Catholicism, for instance, where they believe you can do all these works to merit and earn your salvation, which is a different gospel. So it's important to understand we're saved by grace through faith, but a lot of Christians don't recognize or they fail to recognize that grace, charis is a Greek word, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's such a beautiful word. You know, I'm surprised more little girls aren't named charis. That's such a pretty name. I mean, I'm, I, I, all my, if, if Lisa would let me have my way, I would have my three, I would have faith, hope, and charity, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, faith, hope, and charity, these, right? And the greatest of these is love, right? I don't know which one Jojo would have been, you know? <laughs> I see him laughing back there before I said that. Like, That's right. That was before we had... Two girls and a boy, okay? You wouldn't have been either of those, Joe. You would have been Josiah. Okay. Anyway, uh, but it's such a beautiful word, charis. He gives us grace. But we want saving grace that comes through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, amen? But you know what? Charis is also empowering grace. He empowers us to live the Christian life, amen? And remember, the grace that we need to get through a day to get through our trials, to be victorious. The kind of grace that Paul experienced when he was praying over and over again, Lord, take this thorn from me as a messenger of Satan was sent to beat him up, to keep him humble, so he wouldn't be lifted up in pride. So instead of being lifted up in pride, he's crying out to the Lord because he said he had all these visions. of all. He wrote half the New Testament almost, guys, and it could go to your head, right? Writing half the New Testament almost, right? And all of a sudden, guess what? He realized that he was being hammered. And he's like, Lord, why are you allowing Satan to buffet me like this? Take this thorn from me, this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly how that was manifested in his life. And I think that's for a reason. So we can all identify with that when we go through various struggles. Amen? And the Lord said to him, Paul, you know, my strength is perfected in your weakness. In other words, when Paul, when you're weak and you're humble and you're crying out to me, I'm, I'm able to strengthen you and keep you on the straight and narrow path. Amen? So you don't fall off. He says, my grace 
is sufficient for you. I mean, I'm going to give you enough strength to get through every day. The Bible says, as our day is, so shall our strength be. Amen? So whatever we go through in life, the grace is there if we will humble ourselves. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And in Peter, 1 Peter 5, he warns about Satan and his attacks, and he says to be sober-minded, be vigilant. Be sober-minded. And that, yeah, that can definitely apply to not getting drunk, not getting stoned, not getting high on drugs. Absolutely. But the word also has to do with right thinking. And Peter wasn't thinking right. And then Peter says in that passage to clothe yourselves with humility. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season. A lot like James 4 right here. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary of the devil. He says, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. What's the faith? Trusting him, looking to him, looking to him for my salvation, from hell, from sin, right? From the power of Satan, but also looking to his grace to get me through the next day. The Bible says to enter his throne with, his throne with thanksgiving and praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Amen. And Hebrews 4 says we're supposed to come in to his throne with confidence. Amen. The throne of Grace, it says, the throne of mercy, okay? He says to obtain grace and mercy in time of need. In other words, we need forgiveness. Give us, forgive us our sins and we forgive those against us. We need forgiveness all the time because all of us fall short. But guess what? We also need strength to meet the day because there are trials that the Lord's allowed in our lives to make us stronger, to make us more like Christ, to make us the very thing we want to be, like Jesus, amen? He uses, they, that doesn't happen without trials, guys. That's why we have trials. But you need to look at your trials Adversity, you need to look at adversity as an opportunity. Your ad every adversity we face is an opportunity to, be, to grow in Christ, become more like the Lord. You have to know what's coming. You're going to have trials. It's been said you're either going, to, going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. We're as Christians. Don't freak out. Throw up your hands and say, okay, Jesus, help me seek you through this and help me be humble, amen, and help me not fall into sin through this, amen. So we need to depend on his grace. And when... We say we don't take heed when we stand lest we fall and think we got it on our own. We're already falling, man. But when we say, you know what, Lord, I need your strength because I can do nothing apart from, my, apart from you. Apart from Christ, we could do nothing, Jesus said. But through him, Paul said we could do what? All things. Number four, number four, these 246 pastors that fell into sexual sin, what else they had in common is they did not pray. They weren't praying and seeking the Lord. Wow. That's a big one. I personally try to view breathing as analogous to prayer, spiritually. I have to breathe to have physical air. And by praying and seeking the Lord, it's how I stay and how you stay and how we stay filled with the Holy Spirit of God where he dwells in us in a richer and richer way as we pray and we surrender to him. See, Peter wasn't praying either when he fell. In Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus said to Peter, who was fallen asleep, and why would he fall asleep? Because he was convinced he wasn't going to fall, remember? Well, wasn't it inevitable that he'd fall because Jesus said he would well, Jesus said he would because guess what? Jesus knew he'd fall asleep. <laughs> he knew he'd resist him. He knew that he'd be arrogant and still would not get it until he went through a fall and recognized his need for Jesus' grace. Amen? But Jesus said to Peter and the, a couple others there, James and John, he said to them, 
You know what? He said, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So these pastors who said, I don't need to pray. And all of a sudden they're having temptation with the secretaries that they're with, 80% of them, or the people they're counseling. Remember, 80% of those pastors that fell in that 24-month period that were researched fell with people they were counseling. They were talking to a woman behind closed doors that they ended up sleeping with instead of praying to the Lord in their prayer closets. Instead of crying to the Lord and seeking Him. And we need to spend time in prayer. It's important that we pray. It's critical uh, that we pray and that the Bible says devote yourselves unto prayer. And we have a real enemy who really seeks to destroy us and wants to take us out so we don't have a happy ending. Amen? It's a very real deal. It's, it's true. For, he's got a target on each and every one of us. When Job said, have you, when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? In that word, I've, I've done a word study in that Hebrew word. It can mean to target. And you know what Job, Satan said? You've built a hedge around him, so I can't get to him. Whoa. In other words, guess what? Yeah, I have. And you've made it impossible for me to get to him. And then God lifts the hedge to a great degree and then to a greater degree, but doesn't let him kill him. And, and God blesses Job twice as much in the long run. But it's interesting. When you pray, pray that you don't enter into temptation. I love that. Because I don't even like to, you know, and I, I'm going to tell you the truth. As a young Christian, you know, driving down the road, a young Christian seeking the Lord, walking with Jesus, having a great time with the Lord, you know, like any other young man, I became a Christian at 18, I'm like in love with Jesus. I seemed, it seemed, I seemed impervious to sin. I mean, it didn't seem like there was a lot of, I was like just in love with Jesus. But then guess what? I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, even though I'm a single man, I knew I had thoughts that, you know, you see women dressed half naked in the summer and stuff, and you have to, I have to pray, Lord, give me strength, you know? And I noticed, and this is, this is true for my walk as a Christian man, I noticed the more I'm in prayer, the less I struggle with those kinds of things. And then I noticed a pattern that when that would happen, I'd get convicted. I'd say, I'd go get on my knees, or I'd cry out to God and say, Lord, take that from me. Help me not to enter into that temptation. And I'd cry out to him, and guess what? All of a sudden, it's like, wow, things are so much easier now. And I would overcome that temptation, you know? And I wasn't like tempted, like I'm going to go, you know, fall with this gal. But just thoughts that can come into your mind as a man. I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm a Christian man like the rest of the men here, right? And I, I always say I like that saying that was said many, many years ago. You cannot keep birds from flying around your head, but you sure can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Amen? So yeah, Satan's going to fling his fiery arrows at us. It's going to happen to every single one of us, men and women here. But don't let the devil build a nest in your hair and take up residence in your life. The Bible says to not to give a foothold to the devil. And one way you dislodge those birds who are trying to build a nest is you pray. I love one of Keith Green's songs. He talks about praying those wicked thoughts away. Who has even one line like that in their songs these days, you know? Praying those wicked thoughts away. And I love that, man. Because, and by the way, men, you're struggling with temptation. Sisters, you're struggling with temptation. Pray more. God gives you greater grace. Amen? You're humbling yourself. I need the grace to get through this. And he gives you greater grace, enough to overcome and have victory. Amen? I had victory. I was doing so well. But then I started struggling. Pray again. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And just keep being a man of prayer. Be a woman of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Amen? Amen. So we need to continue steadfast in prayer. 
In fact, part of the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some people are like, why would you even pray that? Because why would Jesus say that? Because God doesn't tempt anyone, it says. Yeah, but you know what? That prayer, that means right there, and most modern evangelical scholars agree, commentators now, that that means not to, don't lead us in a, to a place where we're being tempted. And by the way, that's pretty heavy when you think about it. Because guess what? Jesus had, was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. Amen? And it says in Matthew 4, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. That's because he's a second Adam. He had to prove who he was. Amen? And he did it with flying colors. But guess what? We could pray, Lord, lead us not into being tempted. Because he won't tempt us. But he'll put us in places where we can be tested all the time. The psalmist said, I wake up in the morning and you're already testing me. But guess what? The Bible says, judge yourself and you won't be judged. And if I pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, guess what? Well, then how are you going to get victory over that, that testing? How are you going to be, get, be more mature if you're not tested? Well, guess what? There's plenty of times he'll say, no, I'm going to let you be tested, okay? There's times where he's going to overrule that, right? But guess what? You're already having victory over that future test because you're already dealing with it right now instead of getting to it often, amen? Because you've already prayed about it. Because guess what you getting, having that, that test later on is about supposed to do? Make you more dependent on God. But if you're dependent on God and you're praying all the time, guess what? There's testings that you will not have to face. Of course, there's testings we will have to face as well. But I'd like to be praying about it. So, so that way there's some tests I don't have to face because I'm praying about it, amen? And I'm also praying about it so that when I do face the temptation, I'm strong in Christ. I'm prayed up, amen? You know how that works? It works because when you're praying, you're seeking the Lord, and you're prayed up, you know? You're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, amen? And you have victory over the evil one. In fact, part of the armor, when it mentions in, in the armor, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's how we get victory, by being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And it says, put on the full armor of God so you may stand against, you may stand, he wants you to stand against the schemes of the devil, so you don't fall. And four different times he used the word for stand there in that passage, in, in a matter of verses 10 through 18. Stand, 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 stand. Stand, stand, withstand, stand. Stand. One of the last, the last thing on the list, the seventh thing, seven, number of perfection, the seventh thing on the list, you know what it is? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication for all the saints with this in view, Right? With this in view, being alert with all perseverance. In other words, you need to be alert. You need to be aware. You need to, not take heed when you, you need to take heed when you stand lest you fall. And then you need to be involved in prayer, praying for each other as well. Amen? We call that the weapon or the, the armor, piece of the armor, all prayer. Amen? All prayer. And it's critical. So, they didn't pray as they ought to have prayed. Number five. Number five. There's seven of these. Each had ceased to invest in worship. Each of these men was no longer worshiping the Lord. Was no longer putting Him first in their lives and, and, and praising Him and serving Him. In fact, the word worship is a synonym for serve. Do you know that? When you study the word worship over and over again, it means ser to serve the Lord. A lot of times we think it means 
uh, to praise the Lord. That's part of worship, but that's not all of worship, right? You could praise the Lord with your mouth and then live a wicked life. You're not really truly worshiping the Lord. That's why we don't call it praise and praise. We call it praise and worship. Worship is service. And Satan wants to derail you from serving the Lord. And it's important that we get that. In fact, remember Satan said to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness? Bow down. He showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. A vision of you could have all this could be your, under you, Jesus. You could rule right now. You don't have to go to the cross. You, don't have to, you could take a shortcut. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord and serve him and serve him only. That's what it means to worship, to serve. And these men were no longer serving the Lord. They were serving their own fleshly appetites. Instead of praying for the sheep, they were praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, on the sheep, on who they were counseling or whoever else. Most of these men anyway. So we need to be involved in service. And by the way, there's great victory over temptation, brothers and sisters, when you're serving the Lord. In Galatians chapter 5, in fact, he talks about a war, a war that we have between the flesh and the spirit. In fact, it's worth going and looking at. Let's go to the book of Galatians. If you're in James, hang a left. If you're on a smartphone, tap a different button. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Look at this war that we are in. The war that we are in is not Romans chapter 7, by the way. The early Christians didn't look at Romans 7 where Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't, and so forth. A wretched man that I am, I'm just this horrible guy. And, you know, uh, and they, he says he's a prisoner to sin and death there. That's not the war we're in now. Because he's talking about when he's trying to keep the law. I challenge people, look at the context of that passage. The early church fathers for the first three centuries before the Roman Catholic priest or the Roman Catholic so-called saint, Augustine, came around, looked at it as this is Paul before he was a Christian because Paul's trying to keep the Mosaic law. And I praise God more and more. A lot of Christian evangelicals recognize that now. Even a number of Calvinists have come over to that side. Huexima and other Calvinists say, yeah, this looks like Paul's B.C. The context is clear when you go there. A lot of Christians say, oh, look, you know, I'm just, I just live a wicked life because look at Paul did. Have you read Paul's writings in the New Testament? Was he living a wicked life? No, man. He served God, he said, with a good conscience. He did no harm to anyone. What's going on there? In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this before I was a Christian. He's talking about before he was a Christian. When I was a little kid, I was, he, was, he was, didn't even know what the law was. He goes back to when he was a baby. And then he says, then I became aware of the law. Thou shalt not covet. And he goes, and I died. He died spiritually. He was separated from God when he hit the age of accountability. And then he had this conflict with trying to keep the law. And the things he wanted to do, he couldn't do. And the things he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. He was living this wicked life as a Jew non-believing, didn't know Jesus. Then he cries out, who will save me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? They says, thanks be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it was him against the law. He was trying to keep the law of Moses and he couldn't do it. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter 7 because it's just him against the law before Christ. By the way, are we trying to keep the law of Moses? No, if we go back to Romans 7, that's legalism. We're not trying to keep the law of Moses. Amen? But he's trying to keep the law of Moses. He says, I'm a prisoner to sin and death. 
But then you get to Romans 8, you have the Holy Spirit mentioned over and over and over again, almost in every verse for the first 15 verses. And he says, the law of the Spirit of life gave me victory over the law of sin and death. In other words, I'm no longer in Romans 7 because I'm free in Jesus. Amen? However, guess what? You could look at Romans 7 and say, wait, I can identify with that struggle because I still struggle with sin. No, guess what? As a believer, you still can identify with a struggle, but that's not the struggle. You know where the struggle is? It's you and the Holy Spirit now against the flesh. Not trying to keep the law of Moses, but making sure you don't walk in the flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are at war. The war that we are in as Christians is not Romans 7. It's Galatians 5. And go ahead and look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against what? The Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There's this battle going on, and the enemy wants to keep you from doing what God pleases. Now this is where it gets, gets very interesting, guys. We do have a spiritual battle. But you want to say, where's my battle? It's right here. Because guess what? The answer to Romans 7 was, guess what? Romans 8. Oh, and by the way, Romans 6. Paul says, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. He has total victory in chapter 6. Not perfection, but victory. And in Romans 8, he has victory. Romans 7 is B.C. Look at the context. But we still have a battle. Everybody here knows it. We wake up, and the flesh wants to, that, that Adamic fallen nature wants to rise up in us and rule. And we have to say no. We have to take up our cross daily, deny the flesh, and follow him daily. Amen? Amen. And there's victory in that. Well, how do you get victory? Well, look at verse 15. Or is it verse 16? But I say what? Walk by the Spirit and you will what? Not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Romans 8 says, As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Right before that, he says in verse 12 and 13, Brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh. Brethren, not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify crucify, kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. In verses 17 that we read, 18, look at verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, the key word is practice there, such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to serve. These men weren't walking in the Spirit. They weren't serving the Lord. We need to make sure we're serving the Lord. Amen? And if you're serving the Lord, you say, I'm staying busy for Jesus. It's really hard to fall into sin if you're staying busy for Jesus. Amen? If you're staying in fellowship, you're seeking him, you're praying, you're in the word on your own, you're seeking the Lord. Man, it's really hard. The enemy's got like, man, this is tough. This guy's got his eyes on Jesus. We want to make it really tough for him. In fact, we want to make it impossible for him as much as possible. And that means you just keep Jesus first in your life. And you keep serving him. It's, it's critical that we put him first. And we don't serve this world. Because the first of the Ten Commandments is What? There shall have no other gods before me. Amen. And that's why Jesus quoted him. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. Amen. 
But there's all these idols. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. Or mammon means the same thing. For you to hate the one and love the other, you love the one and hate the other. You can't serve two masters. So don't put money before Jesus. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 3, in Ephesians 5, that greed is idolatry. And we know Paul says last time, days, terrible times will come, right? Men will be lovers of self. Is anybody doing that in the culture today? It's all over the place. I remember we had MySpace. Now it's Facebook, and it's all about them, man. If you have Facebook, I want to encourage you to be a witness with Facebook. Amen? amen. Let people know who you are in Christ. Set up godly boundaries. Amen? Be a witness for Jesus. Serve the Lord, man. In fact, we have this really cool thing coming up right now. We have the, uh, you know, Set the Captives Free campaign. Amen? So we've already witnessed to most of the houses in Simi Valley by sending out tracts on Resurrection Sunday. There's a full-blown, powerful gospel message. But we're gonna, we're, I'm not going to get all into it now. Chad will be doing some announcing of this uh, next time he's up here. I think next week, Chad, we'll be getting in more depth. But I just want to say, we're going to have some really cool things to do this summer. Summer's pretty much here now, right? Where we're going to just uh, ramp up our campaign and do all sorts of exciting things. And just be prepared to get busy for Jesus. We're going to do some street witnessing. We're going to go out at night and witness. Uh, there'll be different opportunities to pass out tracts to invite people uh, to, to, to fellowship, to hear the gospel, uh, to see a video online that they can check out that will be a powerful witness for Christ. Just stay busy in the things of the Lord. And don't say, oh, praise God, there's things like that going on. I can stay busy. You could praise God. Praise God for that, yes, but don't say only that. Make sure you're serving him in your own life. There's always things to do in the fellowship. Where's Yasmin? Yasmin, do you guys ever need help with the children's church? Are you good right now or do you need some help? She could start using some help. Okay, well, she, she comes and she says, start? What do you mean? She might say, well, can you mow my lawn? You know, or something. I don't know where she's going with that, but, you know, I'm sure she could use some help in some way. Amen, something, right? But, you guys, there's so much we can do for the Lord to stay busy for him, and that's very, very important. In fact, uh, I mentioned having children in the faith. I was talking to Big Jim and Rochelle yesterday evening, and uh, we are in the parking lot chatting, and by the way, pray with your brothers and sisters, man. I got together with Jim uh, last week, and uh, we got together and grabbed a bite together. And then afterwards, we went to the park, and we had a prayer time and interceded for you and prayed and just prayed for a while. We went specifically to the park to pray together, you know. And I was with a couple other brothers, uh, Joe Pirro and, and Voss, Joe Voss, and we talked about things and things that are going on in their lives and stuff and just life. And afterwards, we... Uh, got together and we just had a little bit of a prayer time together. We all three prayed together, you know. That's something you want to make a habit to where you're getting together with other brothers and sisters and you're praying together, amen. You're encouraging each other. And that's important because that brings me to the next point, which is uh, none of these men were involved in being accountable. They didn't have other brothers or sisters that they were accountable to. You don't want to be a Lone Ranger Christian. I mean, Peter caught off his accountability, right? He kind of separated himself from all the brethren saying, they may fall, but I'll never do this. That was sad. You know, I, pr I have different brothers I pray with. I have different. In fact, you know who my biggest accountability account partner is by far and away? Can anyone guess? My wife, man. I mean, we pray several times a day together, okay? We cry out to the Lord together for you guys and for everybody. And man, praying with your wife, brothers, and, and praying with your, your husband, sisters, 
is so beautiful because it creates such a beautiful intimacy. You know, my love for her is already very deep, but I think it got so much deeper through the years by all the time we spend in prayer, you know, praying to the same Lord, the unity of faith, praying for the same flock and the same kingdom and praying for the lost together and praying for our children, our grandchildren, your children, you know, your potential grandchildren. I don't make many of you, too many of you too old too quick, you know. But just praying together is huge. But we pray about what we're going through together, you know. So I'm glad, grateful I have brothers that I can pray with, but I'm grateful also stay close, be close to your spouse, amen. That's very, very important. And it's important to be with your brothers and get together with brothers. And are you getting together? Can you, everybody here needs two or three, one, at least one. But we have two or three different brothers that you have intimate times with in prayer, that you, that you spend time talking with, that you spend time encouraging in the Lord. Do you have that? You know, Jesus had 12 apostles. He had 70 that he sent out as well. But he'd take Peter, James, John, sometimes Andrew. He had these brothers that he spent time with, you know. And there's other brothers here that I spend time with and so forth, you know. I jacked up my shoulder really well, and now you guys just moved. It's a Tuesday, you know. That's when I do my podcast. But they go out there, man, and John gets in the Word with them. They pray together. The, iron is, the Bible says as one man sharpens another, so iron sharpens, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Amen? You get together with the other brothers, man, you get sharpened. Those rides, man, you don't just get physically fit. You know, you get spiritually fit, too. Because you're praying together, you're hearing the word together, you're, you're loving each other, you're sharing burdens with each other. When you're out on those rides or just doing things, we got a men's, not men's, we got a, you know, a church uh, deep sea fishing trip coming up. Things you, you can be involved in, amen? And I want to encourage you, the Bible says in Ephesians 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. These men were not in fellowship being encouraged and held accountable by other brothers. They were being lone rangers, man. We need to get together. After fellowship, you might be, I love this fellowship. You know what I love about this fellowship? What, I love so many things about it, but I love that after the fellowship's over, if I'm praying with people and talking to people, counseling people, half hour later, 45 minutes later, there's a ton of people still here. I love that about this fellowship. In fact, you know what? Steve was trying to give the announcements. He was up for, for three or four minutes saying, guys, guys, guys. And I know a lot of you didn't hear him. Some of you are like, okay, everybody else is talking, Steve, so I'm going to keep talking. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm like, blink the lights, you know? But you know what? It's kind of like, it's like a bummer. It's like, man, people need to, we need to get going because, so Yasmin, that's why I'm a few minutes late, you know? No, it's like, it's, uh, but we need to do, but you know what? I love it too because people just want to encourage each other. And after fellowship's a time to do that more, you know? We have a short time before I come up, but then guess what? We need to do that. Ask people out for lunch. Say, hey, let's go for some coffee and fellowship. It's so important. And I love this, man. Did you know when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, one of the things we're supposed to do, it says take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Satan is, but guess what? The shield of faith, when they would think of a shield in those days, they would think of a Roman shield. That's the shields that they were used to seeing when Paul wrote that. And the Romans were ruling the world. And they were known for their shield wall. And they would go to a castle of another kingdom and they would go and poof, thousands of fire arrows would come up. And they'd have leather across their, 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 their shields and they'd put sometimes water on them so the arrows wouldn't destroy their shields. But you know what they would do? They would create a shield wall. So if they're fighting the Carpathians, you know, million soldiers, shield wall! Boom, they'd lock shields together with their brothers next to them. And they'd have a formation to where they'd become like a turtle. And all these arrows, 
poor Carpathians who are fighting, a lot of them are out there hand-to-hand combat. They're just getting hit by their own arrows. But they've got that shield wall, and it made them impervious to being destroyed. And then they'd march again. <laughs> arrows, shield wall. They'd link their shields together. They had links. They're, they were de- designed to link together. Guess what? You've been designed to link with other brothers and sisters. Amen? And if you think that you can withstand the enemy by being a lone ranger Christian and rejecting fellowship, you have another thing coming, man. That's what these guys evidently thought, and they had a great fall. They had a great fall. Lastly, number seven, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He didn't list this one. He lists six things. He said four, but there were six there because one thing he said, prayer, worship, and the word. They weren't in there. I'm like, that's three in one, dude. That's six right there. Plus, I wanted seven points for my sermon. And I go, but you know what? It all comes down. They got their eyes off of Jesus, obviously, right? And I love this. After the crowd of witnesses are, that we're supposed to look to were, oh, by the way, I didn't even know you're here, Joe. Praise God. That was a good little prayer time, huh? And it was really cool because, well, it's interesting when you think about it. When you look at this last thing, we have this crowd of witnesses before us. It gives all these men who, and women who died in the faith in chapter 11. Those are examples to us. And then in chapter 12, he saves the best for last. He says, consider Jesus. He says, actually, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, right? He says who's a pioneer and the finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross, amen? For the joy set before him, we're supposed to seek, put our eyes on him. Look what he did. He endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy set before him because guess what he wanted to hear? He wanted to enjoy the joy of the Lord and his prize at the end. Have a happy ending. Amen? Well, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. For the joy set before us. So we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. Amen? Seek Jesus. When Peter had his eyes on Jesus, he could even walk on water. He got his eyes off, looked at the storm. He sunk. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand up. We're going to pass out the cup and the bread. Praise God.